Amen. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. This is Jamie's Valentine to me as I get to share his pulpit today, I guess. So thank you for that, Jamie. I appreciate that. Uh, my name's Kevin Yule. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I'm um, typically up north with my Northridge family, but it's good to be back with you guys here on a Sunday morning. So thank you for allowing me back. The, the forgotten son returns, so it's good to be here. Uh, and to my Northridge family, I miss you guys. I know Braden and Jordan are taking good care of you guys up there, but I uh, look forward to seeing you guys all next week. And as always, welcome to all of you over at Cactus. I know Rick's doing an incredible job loving and caring for you guys and Ray over in the chapel. And I know we've got a, a huge group of people online. And I'm so grateful for my brother Ryan Heath and his ability to love and connect with all of you that are joining us really from all across the globe. It's just great to be a part of all of that. Uh, we're gonna continue our study in the book of John. In fact, we're gonna be in John 18, and we're gonna look at a, a very familiar story to many of us. And for some of you, it may not be as familiar, but you probably heard something uh, about this whole idea of denial and Peter's denial of Jesus multiple times. Uh, and so before we get into that, as I was reading through it this week, I'm looking at it in the last couple weeks, actually, uh, I really wrestled with one thing, and that is, you know, how could Peter do that? How could you sell out the savior of the world? How could, you, how could you declare him to be the son of God and then just days, maybe weeks later, sell him out three different times? How do you do that? And that would never be me. I would never do that. And so I started to think of, are there other things that I said, man, I would never do that and then ended up actually doing? And so I'll give you this story. It's, it's just fun, and, but it kind of helps connect the dots a little bit. Uh, I was 23, 24 years old and I was on a church softball team full of a bunch of other 23 and 24 year olds. And like any good church softball team full of young adults, uh, we were always scrambling to find enough guys to play the night of the game because we're not the most committed individuals at that age. And so it was one particular week, a buddy calls and goes, hey, I found a guy. I found a guy that can play with us. He used to play college ball. He's gonna be awesome. Said, Great, bring him out. He's available, he, he works. So out he comes. And this guy had played college baseball just about 25 years ago. He was late 40s, early 50s, and, uh, and still in pretty good shape. And so we talked to this guy and go, all right, what do you, what do you position you play? So I played shortstop in college. So great, get out there at shortstop. So we roll this old timer out, kind of anxious to see what's gonna happen. First inning, bang, hot shot right to him at shortstop. This guy dives to his right, scoops the ball in one hop and throws off of his backside gets the guy out. We were all sitting there like, are you kidding me? He gets web gem for sure if ESPN would have been there. Makes another play in the infield routine, double play ball, flips it over, calls him out, and hey, we got out of the inning. Next inning comes up, line drive shot. This guy jumps like a serval cat and snatches it out of the air to end the inning. And we're just like, what? Who is this guy? Wouldn't you know, he's up to bat. First at bat that next inning. His wife and kids are sitting over there. Come on, daddy, you can do it. So he gets up, still hopped up from all these plays he's made in the field, and he hits a line drive to center field. Easy single. But as he takes off towards first base with everything that he's got, he notices as he hits first that the center fielder kind of bobbles the ball. And somewhere in this guy's mind, maybe flashing back 25 years ago to his college days, he thinks, I can get a double out of this. So he makes the turn towards second base and puts it in a gear he hasn't hit in the last 30 years of his life. In comes the throw, and it's going to be tight. And this guy, mind you, a church softball league on a Tuesday night with his wife and kids and a bunch of other knuckleheads there, dives headfirst into the bag at second base in order to be safe. Boom! Big cloud of dust goes up, and we all kind of get up off the bench to see how, you know, what the umpire's going to do. And he runs out there. Dust begins to settle. Out. And we look 
And this guy's about a foot and a half short of the back <laughs> on his slide. And so we were like, oh, that's too bad. But he's not moving either. He's just kind of laying there for an uncomfortable amount of time. And so we begin to make our way out to him now as a team and go, hey, you all right? And he rolls over and he scratched his chin all up because he hit that first when he hit the ground. And he rolls over and this guy's in bad shape. He's like, I can't, my shoulder, my leg, my ribs, I mean, everything. And so we scoop him up and kind of brush him off. And he walks over to the dugout, grabs his glove and his water bottle and makes the walk of shame off to his car. He's done for the night. He can't do it anymore. I remember sitting there as a 24-year-old going, man, what's the matter with this guy? This is church softball league on a Tuesday night. Like, you're that sold out. Don't have a little self-awareness. Like, you can't do those things anymore. And I swore on that day, I would never, ever be that guy clinging to the past. 14 years later, I get uh, called up to be in a softball league here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And we're out there on a Thursday night, and I was never a great baseball player, but I could do one thing really well, and that was throw the ball really hard and really far. And so they put me out in center field. And I'm out there, and I make one catch, and then the, the next inning comes up, and line drive to me out in center field. And I notice the guy at second is going to try and go to third. So I come up, scoop that thing up, and just fire a dart into third base. Bang, tag this guy out. Team goes nuts. Yeah, third out of the inning. Come strutting in like, yeah, I did it. Yule, you're up. All right, perfect. First up at bat that inning. Slow pitch comes in there. Boom, I hook this thing right down the line. And I take off to first base with all that I got. And I hit first base and I realize this ball was rolled all the way to the wall. And about the time I hit first base, I know second base, merely an obstacle between me and my triple that I'm about to get. And so I put it <laughs> into a gear that I hadn't hit since I was playing football at Horizon High School. And I blow through second base and halfway between second base and third base, a sniper from the grassy knoll hits my hamstring and I just hear this pop and I, oh, wow. And I hop into third base like a wounded duck into the tag and I realize in that moment, it's time for me to make the same walk of shame my buddy did 14 years ago. I grab my glove, my water bottle and I hobble off to the car and I remember getting in the car going, okay, the one thing that you swore you would never do, you would never be that guy all of a sudden, here you are driving home to a bag of ice because you are that guy. Guys, it's real easy to read this story of Peter and to see his denial and go, that would never be me, ever. No way I would do that. Let's put this in context a little bit. Peter is the only person on this planet ever to breathe air outside of Jesus to walk on water. He's the only person that ever walked on water. Same guy that would pick up a basket of food with the other 12 after Jesus fed 5,000 people and would walk it back to his home. Some of the miracles we still read about today, he saw firsthand, witnessed all of them, the first person to look Jesus in the eye when he says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of God. And Jesus affirms him, blessed are you for saying that. If that guy witnessed all of those things, walked shoulder to shoulder with Christ, was affirmed by the God of the universe that he would build his church upon him, could deny Jesus three times over, what shot do we have to not follow the same fate if we're not careful? So as we dive into this, as we, we look at it, maybe a very familiar passage to some, my hope and prayer has been and will continue to be uh, that we can look at it maybe with some fresh eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our hearts and for all of you that showed up here today to check a box and get onto Valentine's Day, man, my hope is the Holy Spirit grabs us and we leave here changed people. 
change people, sons and daughters of God, longing to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, because I think that's where God's gonna take us today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time in the Word. God, we thank you so much uh, for this incredible gift you've given us in your, in your Word. God, I pray that we would handle it correctly today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move. God, I pray that you would give myself, uh, but so many of my brothers and sisters here and at the other campuses, God, give us the courage to lean in, to wrestle with your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that he would guide and direct our thoughts. God, if there are areas that you know we need to lean into, God, give us the conviction to do that. God, I pray against any distractions. God, I pray and will continue to pray against any ounce of shame or guilt the enemy would love to bring in here. God, I pray that we would not live in that world. God, we would live in the world as sons and daughters of you, beloved by you, and yet called by you to live set-apart lives. And so, God, let us walk that tightrope. Anoint this time and do what only you can do. So we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, guys, we're gonna be in uh, John 18, and if you were around last week, you know, Jamie kicked everything off with the betrayal of Judas. Jesus gets done with his high priestly prayer. They're in the garden. In come the Roman soldiers, the Jewish high priest soldiers, and Judas. And Judas betrays Jesus, and then he's led off. And Jamie, next week, is gonna take us through Jesus' interaction with the high priest. But this week, we take a little jump out of our story with Christ, and we focus on one of his disciples, Peter. And so this is what it says in John 18, 15 through, uh, 15 through 18, and then a little skip. But it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Let me just pause right here, okay? This other disciple, we don't know who it is. Some people think it's Nicodemus because he was a member of the, of the uh, high priestly court. And so he had access to the center court. Maybe it was Nicodemus. Uh, I tend to be more in the camp that it was probably John. John is notorious for writing himself into his own gospel without ever mentioning his name. Uh, and so there's probably a good chance it was John. John's dad was a... a owned a fishing fleet. In fact, that's what John was doing when Jesus called him. And so there's a good chance uh, that John's dad was the supplier of fish to the high priest. And so as a little guy, all growing up, John would shuttle fish from the, from the market into the high priest, and they get to know John. So all of a sudden, John develops a relationship with the high priest that very much comes into play right now in this part of the story. So you got probably John and Peter. All the other disciples have scattered. So here they are. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. There's one. Now the servant and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and were warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they, officers, said to him, you also are not one of, this, of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. There's two. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it. There's three. And at once... A rooster crowed. Go back and read John 13, this rooster crowing. Jesus prophesied it. Jesus says, look, I'm about to be betrayed. They're gonna take me away. And Peter stands up and goes, yeah, they'll never take you without me. I will die for you. And, Peter, and Jesus goes, really, Peter? 
Like before this night's over, you're gonna deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. And so that's what we have here, fulfillment of that prophecy. But let's go back and unpack this because I think there's a threefold denial that goes on that we really gotta wrestle with for our, for our own souls. So here, here's our first one. Uh, it's right down here. You got the, you know, John's in there with the high priest, Peter's outside. And so again, I believe John grabs this servant girl. He's in there with the high priest and he grabs a servant girl and goes, hey, hey, come here. See that guy over there? Yeah, that's, that's my buddy Peter. Uh, will you let him in? Just, I mean, do me a personal solid here. Let, let that guy in. Okay, and so this little servant girl makes her way over to the gate. And she looks at Peter. The servant girl at the door, he, she says to him, you also, also, look, we already know one disciple's in here. This isn't like an indictment on, are you one of it? We already have one in here. This is, are you two? You another one? Are you also not one of this man's disciples? Are you? Peter says, no, I'm not. Here, here's our first denial. This is what I call the denial. It's justified denial. It's a bit of a justified denial for Peter. Picture the scene. Court's going on. He's in there. Peter's on the outside looking in. All he wants to do is get in and be close to Jesus. Maybe I can get in there. Maybe I could do something else. Maybe I could chop some more ears off. I don't know what he's thinking, but he wants to get in to help his guy. So this girl comes and goes, hey, well, before I let you in here, are you one of his disciples? Nope, not me. Just let me in. He justifies his denial by allowing himself to get entry into the inner court. It's his first denial. Here, here's the danger of this denial. The first one should be the hardest, but for Peter, it comes so easy. Let me justify this so I can get in. And the next two are gonna come real quick on the heels of that. Once you start that snowball downhill, it's hard to stop. So he justifies it. Now, my, my guess would be, uh, not many of us are gonna find ourselves outside of a courtyard or a club or whatever it is we wanna get into and people are gonna go, hey, do you know Jesus? If you do, you can't get in here. That's like, we're not gonna deny Jesus that way. But do we not justify our own sin quite often and in a sense deny Christ? I mean, we can, we can justify all kinds of things. I'll give you, you one from my life that I, well, I'm proud to say I didn't. Uh, but the opportunity was there. I just did my taxes. Anybody, it's tax season. Good times, okay? I'm doing my taxes. Opportunities there to fudge on my taxes a little bit. And there was a part of me that thought, man, I could steward my money far better than the government. In fact, I could do more for the kingdom of God with the money I have than the government could. So maybe I can change this. And you, I, the one I did had the little like refund and or money you owe up here. And every time you put a number in, it would change. I'm like, ooh, what, what happened if I did this? And there it is. Do I justify my actions by saying, oh, I can be a better steward? Justification. We justify our stuff all the time. In fact, my guess would be Peter in John 13 goes, I would never do that. He's got his list of things he would never do. And yet here he is on the very beginning stages of doing the very thing he said he wouldn't. We do the same thing. I would never commit adultery, ever. Okay. But do you find yourself maybe having a conversation with somebody at work? that you know is probably not the most honoring to your marriage, but you're not crossing any lines, just developing a friendship, maybe a little flirtatious friendship. It's not that big of a deal, but in your heart and your soul, you know, this probably isn't right, but we justify it. It will help me, help me endear myself to the people. We justify it. I'm gonna tell you right now, and if, if this ruins my witness or my ministry to, to some young adults, I, I apologize right now, but I'm gonna throw up if I hear one more young adult tell me, oh no, I use pornography as a means to help keep my relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend pure. Really? We're justifying sin. 
this is really bad, Kevin, but this is not. No, I'll call it what it is. Don't justify your sin. We do it all the time. It's the beginning. It's the first step of denial. And it comes so easy for Peter, so he denies to gain access. But then we move on to this second denial. Look at this second one, a little bit different. So Simon Peter, he's standing and warming himself, and they, so they, who's the they? Remember, it's the officers. Go back and read John 18, what Jamie covered last week. You got the Roman officers there. They're the muscle behind everything, the ones with the authority, with the spears and the clubs and the ability to execute people. So they're there. You also got the high priest soldiers and servants there. The ones that are anti-Jesus. The Romans are just there to make sure nothing gets sideways, and if it does, they can bring the hammer. But the the Jewish leaders, they're there to to take Jesus down. And so there's rumblings. Peter's hearing. We're gonna crucify this guy. Death is on the line here? So that's what Peter is around. So he's hanging out with these guys, warming himself around the fire, and then the exact same question is posed to him. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it again, said, I am not. Here's our second denial. This is what I would call a denial of of, uh, essentially flesh over conviction. Flesh over conviction. Peter's sitting there and he knows, okay, to, to stand on my convictions to say, no, I am absolutely one of his disciples because that is my Lord and Savior and he is the Son of God and I am for him and I am with him. That's his conviction. But he knows in that moment what that might cost him is his life. Or at least a beating, some pain. Maybe he's thrown out of the courtyard. Like there's, some, there's some physical things that would happen to Peter as a result of standing on that conviction. And so in that moment, he chooses his flesh. Easier to say, no, I don't know him, than to risk what his conviction might cost him. So let's bring this home. Easy to look at Peter and go, what a coward. That's how Jamie defined denial last week, right? Cowardly disassociation. What a coward. Okay, call him a coward. Now let's own it ourselves. How do we do when it comes to choosing our flesh versus our conviction in scenarios, in opportunities that we get? If our conviction is, love my wife like Christ loved the church, lay myself down for her, that's where our conviction lies. Yet our flesh tells us, you know, if she treated you better, she'd be a lot easier to love. And you're right. And if, if she did this, then it'd be a, a lot easier. If she did, in fact, you don't do this until she does this. Well, now we're just playing this, again, some of it's justified sin and some of that's flesh over conviction. Can we own our stuff? What are those areas of your life that you are sitting there going, okay, if I'm honest before the Father, if I have the courage to kneel before him and say, God, would you search me and know me as the psalmist did? Would you try me and know my anxious thoughts? Would you see if there's any grievous way in me, can we lay that before the Father and say, show me my flesh so that I can stand on my conviction? I'll give you one very real and yet somewhat shallow, but still significant, at least for me in my own life. Uh, about two years ago, I was, I was preaching up here, and afterwards, some of you, very lovingly, because you love me and care for me, let me know that you've got a bit of a weight problem, kid. Uh, you need to drop a few hundred pounds or so. And uh, so I received that in humility and angst, and I joined a gym. I'm at Mountainside Fitness. We, I typically go to the one right over there at Desert Ridge. And uh, I began to, to work out on the cardio machines, because I learned, okay, that's one way to help lose weight. This frame is not built for cardio. Okay, imagine that. Uh, so it's really hard for me to stay in the game and to, and to keep doing that. Uh, but I push myself. I've got a high drive, and so I keep pushing myself. Uh, the last six to eight minutes of every single workout, I find myself uh, stifling my own 
vomit and my lungs on fire and everything kind of closing in around me and I just want to pass out. I'm afraid I'm going to end up on a YouTube video somewhere. And so I dig deep, like what's, what's my motivation going to be? How am I going to get through this? And so I right, just two more songs. You can do it. Uh, watch this next episode of SportsCenter. Whatever it is, like I try and drive myself, but I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I'm tired, I'm at the end of myself and I'm searching for any sort of motivation I possibly can, and Susie Yoga Pants walks over in front of me and hops on the machine in front of me. Guys, here's my opportunity. Flesh over conviction. Flesh over conviction. What am I gonna do? I've since learned I can hop on the stair machine and I can hold on to that little heart rate monitor and I can just close my eyes when I'm at that point. And for me, that has helped. But the opportunity is still there. Flesh over conviction. What are we gonna choose? What do you choose day in and day out? Before we wanna throw stones and call Peter a, a cowardly disassociator of Jesus, let's bring this home. Are there areas of our life, if we're to be honest before the Lord and lay that before him, that we've chosen our flesh over our conviction? Certainly in some of our relationships that we have. Again, tie it home to your spouse. Is there grace you need to extend to your spouse, not because they deserve it, because it's what God's called you to do? And can we lay down our flesh and stand by our conviction of who God is? Flesh over conviction. Here's our third one. Our third denial. This one's interesting because it's totally different. It says this in verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And he denies it again. Get to what's going on here. This isn't even a question of, are you one of his disciples? This isn't even a question of, hey, aren't you associated with that guy? This is a question of, hey, Turn a little bit, turn your head a little bit. Stoke that fire some, get some light on this guy's face. Yeah, didn't I see you? Aren't you the guy that tried to cut my uncle Malchus's ear off in the garden? All of a sudden, Peter goes, nope, nope, wasn't me. This is, this is what I would call a denial of accountability. Denial of accountability. Not disassociating himself with Christ. This is, I don't wanna be held responsible for my actions, so I'm gonna deny it completely. He cuts the guy's ear off. If you know the story, Jesus heals him, puts it back on there, and Malchus goes on his way in awe of what just took place. Don't make a mistake. Peter wasn't trying to cut his ear off. He, he didn't pull his sword out and go, whose ear can I take off? He pulls his sword out. He's swinging for the guy's head. He wants to kill this guy. Guy probably ducks, shaves his ear off. Jesus rebukes him, heals the guy, on he goes. But this servant girl or man sees him and goes, you're the guy. Peter denies all responsibility. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. That's what I call denial of accountability. So now let's bring this home. Do we do the same? Do we do the same with things in our life? Are there things in our life? In fact, they're just a part of our life now. Maybe if you want to read 1 John, it talks about this idea of, of habitual sin. It's just a part of us now. And it's in there, and if we're really honest, on those nights that we can't sleep, if the Holy Spirit is convicting us and he's leaning on us, we know they're not okay. But the reality is there's such a part of us that we've, we've become a little callous to it. And we don't wanna own it. We don't wanna deal it. So we push it off. Pretend it's not there, and we just keep going in it. Sometimes it can get so bad that we can live a life of sin, and we've become so hardened to it. The callous has become so formed around our heart that we're not even convicted by it anymore. And we, we, we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Really be holy as I am holy, says, says God to his children. Can we own that? So are there areas of your life 
that you need to be honest before God. Here, here's how it sometimes can manifest itself. People come to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, people that love you, your family, they come to you and they go, Dad, I see this in you and it's not good. And if your response in that moment is, who are you to judge me? Maybe there's some lack of ownership there. Maybe there's some denial of accountability there. Now, be very cautious on this. Be very cautious on this. There are some people that are judgmental jerks just because that's who they are. Pray for their soul. And if that's what you have going on at you, don't, don't listen to that. But if you can honestly lean in and God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you some discernment. If you've got like-minded brothers and sisters who you know care for you, pastors, people in your small group, family members coming to you and say, man, I see this in you and it's not of God. Can you own it? Can you own that? Or are we gonna deny, point the finger at them and move right along? I've seen this happen too many times in some of the couples that I've had a chance to meet with. Um, and I will say this on the front end because I didn't in the last service and I feel like I blew it. Um, please do not take this as any element of guilt or shame. That is not at all what I want. And if Satan uses this, I, I will rebuke him right now. God, do not let that happen. Protect your kids. But there are far too many times where I'm meeting with a couple and one of them says, that's it, I'm out, I'm done. This marriage is over. Okay, tell me what's going on. Do we have any biblical grounds for divorce? And I got my own stance on, on some of that stuff, but essentially what they say is, no, I got no biblical grounds, I'm just sick of them. I want out, God wants me happy, does he? Let's, let's, let's take a look at that verse that says God wants you happy. I can't find it, but let's keep looking. You know what God wants? God wants you to honor your marriage, your commitment. He wants you to be faithful. I hear that, but I don't want it. You don't know what it's like to live with him or her. You're right, I don't. I don't. It's probably hard. It's difficult. Marriage is tough. But I know this. God wants you to be faithful to your wife or your husband, to stick to your commitment. Can you own that? Or are we going to deny all responsibility? And how many times I've looked a husband in the eye and said, love your wife like Christ loved the church. You know how many times the church flags the bird at Jesus and does its own thing, seeks its own agenda, and yet Christ continues to love and care for and extend grace to, never giving up on his church, never giving up on me as an individual, no matter how many times I justify my sin or I choose my flesh over my conviction, he stays patient with me. Maybe God's calling you to do that with your spouse. Have we gotten so callous that we can't even hear those words? We can't even lean in and trust the God of the universe that can do miraculous things to even repair a relationship? Can we lean into that? Can we own that? And if you're out there waiting for them to move, your spouse to move, just stop. Be the first to move. Remember that passage Jamie read a couple weeks ago? As far as it depends on you, Romans 12, 18. Live at peace with all men. Let's take ownership ourselves. Let's take accountability for our own actions and stop denying it. So you got a threefold denial. First off, he justifies it. Not that big of a deal. Second one, now he chooses his flesh over his conviction. Third one, just outright denial of accountability. I think we got to own some of that stuff. So what changed? How did Peter go from, you'll never take him alive, slicing guy's ears off, to denying him three times over? Here's what changed. Two things changed in Peter's world from chapter 18, verse 1 to chapter 18, verse 15. The first one is this. Intimacy with Jesus all of a sudden was, was severed. For the last three and a half years of his life, he was shoulder to shoulder with Christ, watching Jesus do things that we still read about today, partnered with Christ. And every time they tried to get him, Jesus would mysteriously escape 
Or he would say something to them that all of a sudden, you remember the Pharisees are they're trying to accuse Jesus and Jesus just throws a question out there. Anybody without sin be the first to throw the stone. All of a sudden, they all put their stones down and walk away. He's, he's, he's been saved from these situations over and over and over again. But for the first time, Peter's not shoulder to shoulder with Christ. There's a gap. Jesus is over there. Peter's on an island over here. His intimacy with Christ has been shifted. Here's the second thing that takes place. For the last three and a half years of Peter's life, not only is he shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, but he's shoulder to shoulder with some other men that are like-minded in a similar cause. He's got his 11, 12 if you want to count Judas up until the time of the end, but he's got 12 guys around him that are like-minded and on fire for the same thing, and they're taking hills together, and they're changing the world because they're united together. And now all of a sudden he finds himself not only separated from Christ, but now he's surrounded by guys that don't share the same vision. In fact, they share the opposite vision. His influence has greatly shifted. It's greatly shifted. And so as I wrestle with this stuff, as I think through, okay, Kevin, how are you justifying sin? Where's flesh and conviction? And what are you not willing to own? I begin to lean in and go, okay, how's my intimacy with the Father? How's my intimacy with Jesus? That's a question I ask myself often. I ask people that often. How are you doing in your walk with the Lord? You know what I hear so often? So often I'll hear one of two things. Uh, how many times they read their Bible that week or how many times they prayed that week. And don't get me wrong, nobody loves reading the Bible more than me and I, I'm trying to work better at praying a whole lot more. Those are great things to continue your intimacy with the Father. But if they're a checklist of things that you do surely out of duty and obligation and they are not drawing your heart to the Father, then I think we might be missing it. If my wife said, here are the three things I want for Valentine's Day, go get them, and I get them, and I put them on the couch, and I go, here's what you asked for. What do you want next year? Let me get those for you. And there's no heart behind it. There's no draw. There's no opportunity to go, I don't know if this is what you want or not, but this is what I chose for you because I love you, and I'm drawn to you. If I never communicate that to her, I just do what she asks me to do out of obligation or, or, or duty, there's not a lot of intimacy there. And sometimes I feel like that's what can happen to our intimacy with the Father is it becomes all about what I do and less about why I do it. Man, begin to lean into that. What draws you to the Father? What draws you into an intimate relationship with Christ? What gets you up in the morning and you go, man, I cannot wait to spend time with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm just drawn to him and I feel like we are, we are walking hand in step. Man, let's, let's focus on those things. Keep your, your disciplines and, your, and those things that you, you're doing. But man, if they're not generating a, a heart drawn to Christ, because that's why we need each other. That's our second thing. We need intimacy with the Father. You begin walking hand in step with the Spirit. See if you don't become a little more aware of those things in your own life that God wants to work on. But then God is, is loving and gracious Father. He has given us an incredible thing called the body of Christ. Look around this room or at Cactus Northridge. Those of you online, you can interact with Ryan and find the body of Christ right there at your fingertips. He's given us the body of Christ to surround ourselves with. So guess what? You know what we can do? We can lean on each other. When we're discouraged, somebody encourages us. Go read Hebrews 10. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Iron sharpening iron. We can look another brother in the eye and go, man, I see this in you and I love you too much to let you keep going down this road. And you would say, man, I do know you love me. I'm gonna receive that and take it to heart. Do we have people like that around us? Who is your influence? What influences you most? It is unbelievable during this, this COVID season 
and I, I, I am guilty and ashamed to say some of this, but just in interacting with some, I can, I can almost tell what news channel they, they watch most of the time just on how they've interacted around certain things that have happened in the last six months. How they're handling all of this stuff because they're so influenced by what they're surrounded by and they, they give so much attention to these things that it begins to control the way that they respond. And instead of seeing a, a person with a different political opinion than you, instead of seeing them as a, as a person that bears the image of God and, and praying for their soul, we, we get vitriol and hateful and ugh. That's our influence coming out. Are we allowing ourselves? Social media, I'm not on it. My wife is. She just shows me stuff every now and then. Man, that is a, a whirlwind of influence. Let's all get our little huddles together, our old teams together, and it's now it's us against the world, and we'll split and divide over all sorts of petty things. We're allowing the world to influence us instead of so much the gospel of Jesus Christ and our brothers and sisters. It was announced here at Shea. I'm sure it was announced at Cactus and Northridge too, but, but you know why we do small groups? You know why those are such a big deal to us? You know why this whole get God getting real together is so important? It's because none of us were meant to do this alone. We were meant to lean on each other, to be an encouragement to each other. And if you're not in a small group, here's what I wanna say to you. God wants to use you to be a blessing to others and wants to use them to be a blessing to you. Let's begin to surround ourselves that people like Peter with his, with his guys before this moment had guys united together to take a hill together. Man, let's change the world for the gospel of Christ. But you go out there by yourself. Sometimes I think we're just waiting to get picked off. We unite together. Man, can you imagine what God would do with the united Scottsdale Bible Church around preaching the gospel and loving anybody God puts in front of us? Do you know what God could do with that? Man, let's get there. Let's allow each other to influence each other to continue to move forward in the gospel. How's your intimacy? And who are you allowing to influence you? And I think those are two things that are at least can make us a little more open to the Spirit's moving, Spirit calling us, maybe pointing out some of those areas that we justify, maybe certainly pulling out some of those things where I'm probably a little heavy on the flesh here. I need to up my conviction game. But then ultimately, maybe revealing some things in us that we didn't even know were there because they've become so hard in our hearts. I don't know what you want to do with that. Um, this is a, a hard part as a, as, a, as a pastor that teaches the word. Is this is, I was telling Neil earlier, this is where I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. I can't give you five steps to figure this out, but the Holy Spirit can give you everything you need if you're willing to lean in and trust him in all of that. Last thing before I wrap up, we see Peter deny Jesus three times over. Three times over. Go read John 21. This isn't the end of the story for Peter. John 21, Jesus restores Peter and asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not because he doesn't believe him, but I think a lot of ways to kind of counteract Peter's heartfelt remorse over denying Christ, he now gets to affirm his love for Christ three times over, and Jesus restores him. And so you're out there right now. Maybe you're in this room, overflow, you're up at Northridge or Cactus, you're online, and you're sitting there going, man, I've denied Jesus. I've denied the gospel of Christ over and over and over and over again. That's all right. God has you here for a reason, whatever that is. If you're here to impress the girl you're dating, that you're religious and at church on Valentine's Day, I don't care. God has you here for something greater. God has you here so that you could hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and that is simply this. God loves you. He loves all of us. He's absolutely for us. 
But you and I, myself, maybe more than most, we got a huge problem. It's called sin. The Bible calls it sin. You can call it whatever you want. Mistakes, bad decisions, moral failures. The Bible calls it sin. And that sin has created some distance between us and God. And so for years, you have tried, we have all tried to get it right, to figure it out, to fix it, and to make this sin thing go away. And time and time again, we fail over and over and over again. And God said, whenever you're done trying, whenever you're done trying to fix this yourself, and you want to surrender your life to my son, Jesus Christ, I'm waiting, I'm here. You can deny me as much as you want. My offer does not stop. And so he's offering that. Come to the end of yourself and say, God, I can't fix this anymore. I want you. I believe your son died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And so right now in this moment, I'm putting my faith in you. If you're there today, if that's your decision, if that's the choice you wanna make to put your faith in Christ, come talk to me. Talk to Neil. Talk to Jordan up at Northridge. Talk to Rick. Get online and talk to Ryan. Talk to somebody before you go. You're not joining the church. We're not gonna ask you 600 theology questions. We're gonna put our arms around you and say, brother, sister, we love you and we wanna journey with you because guess what? We do this together. So if that's you, I'm gonna ask and pray that you would have the courage to come talk to somebody. For the rest of us, here's the deal. You're either 25 years old playing baseball, looking out, going, that would never be me, or you can own it and realize that's possible for all of us. Maybe not in a scenario like this with Peter, but we all have it within us to deny Christ over and over and over again. Let's be aware of it. Let's own it. Let's lean into the Lord and let God do what only God can do in our lives. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue on with our morning. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for this opportunity. God, my heart and my prayer is that you would give your children courage and strength to lean in. God, I've, I will continue to pray that your Holy Spirit would move in ways that only he can. I don't know what he's stirring up. I don't know what he's doing. I just know that, God, for me, I've got to own a lot of stuff, and you are pointing things out in me, and God, it is, it is hard, it is not easy, but God, I am so grateful that you have not given up on me, and you still have great things in store for me. So God, let me lean into your spirit. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray for those that maybe need to take the courageous steps to come forward to talk to somebody about their faith in you. Give them the courage and the opportunity to do that. But God, for all of us, we long, we desire uh, to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. And God, we need you to do that. And so meet us in this place, meet us in this moment, and do what only you can do. And we will thank you in advance for everything that's gonna happen. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.